Hello, and welcome to Let's Talk MedTech, the premier podcast for the medical device and diagnostic industry. My name is Omar Ford, and I am the host for this episode and also editor-in-chief of MDDI, an online resource for medtech professionals, owned by Informa. On this episode of Let's Talk MedTech, we're going to be speaking with Elucid CEO Blake Richards and also MedTech veteran Scott Hannikins. Scott was recently named executive chairman of the board of directors for Elucid, and we're going to be talking to him about this role, about what his position will entail, and about his storied career in the medical device industry. We're also going to be talking with Blake about his plans for Elucid and what we can look forward to from the company in the coming months. So it's an incredible conversation. We're going to dive into some med tech history, and I really can't wait for you to hear it. So without further ado, let's talk med tech with Elucid's Blake Richards and Scott Hannikins. Well, welcome to Let's Talk Med Tech. Uh, Scott, Blake, it's a pleasure to have you on. Uh, I want to jump right on in and talk about Elucid. But first, I, I want to take a step back and, and talk about Scott's career in the industry. It's a, it's a very storied career. Uh, do you mind if we do that before we, we officially start? No problem, Omar. You may lose your audience, uh, but uh, you know, <laughs> talk about my background. Sure, sure. All right. So you were president and CEO of Volcano before it was sold to Philips. Um, talk a little bit uh, about that and about the industry back then. Uh, how was the regulatory process when compared to today's standards? Give some color to that experience. You, you really want to depress people. Um, <laughs> no, so, uh, you know, I, I've worked the last 30 plus years in, in medical device and, and I really, truly feel it's a pre- privilege to get to work in this industry and work towards solving, you know, clinical issues, which help patients with, you know, the best customers in the world, you know, physicians. And so I I started my career early on with Baxter in their Edwards, what is now Edwards. So, you know, worked on everything from bypass surgery in cardiology to heart valves, LVADs for circulatory support. Then did my first startup in San Diego, a company called Digirad, and we made the very first uh, solid-state radiation detectors for doing nuclear cardiology, what is you know myocardial perfusion imaging, and became the standard diagnostic tool uh, for patients to understand their chest pain, who should go to the cath lab, who should not. And uh, had a great run. Company grew to be a public company, and myocardial perfusion imaging became the standard of care. And, you know, you work on one thing like that in your career and you're, you're excited. Uh, but after that started, was the first and only CEO at Volcano from startup to almost 500 million in, in revenue. And Volcano was focused in the interventional uh, cardiology space on initially the, the term Volcano, you know, eruptions and the like, to try and understand plaques that were likely to progress rupture and cause heart attacks. We were founded trying to understand these plaques with, with, with you know, processing of ultrasound images, thermography, near-infrared spectroscopy, et cetera, and did a lot of work. But we, we pivoted and, and we, we changed into being more of a precision-guided therapy company where we would be used to determine if you needed a stent with something called fractional flow reserve, FFR, and then also if you needed a stent, 
how you should place the stent, where sizing and the like with intravascular ultrasound. So we did a tremendous amount of work, you know, understanding plaques had a big, you know, the largest even to date natural history study of atherosclerosis with an invasive diagnostic, the prospect trial that was published in New England Journal of Medicine, found out which plaques are likely to progress and cause heart attacks. Also involved in the whole development of the FFR market, um, you know, invasively. And so, you know, those were big breakthroughs, which led to both being the standards of care for diagnosing patients and, and putting uh, stents in. As I said, we grew to about 500 million in revenue. Phillips bought us uh, at the beginning of 2015. We were up to, at that time, in about 60, 70% of the cath labs uh, around, around the world. But there was, you know, un, unfinished business, so to speak, yeah. relative to myocardial perfusion, as well as, you know, heart attacks and understanding, understanding plaques. Uh, and at that time, you know, actually Volcano was in discussions with HeartFlow and CathWorks and a lot of the other people trying to look at, at CT and, and CTFFR or CT plaque to try and understand uh, the progression of the disease in, in, in more history. But, you know, at, at the time that we started Volcano, it's funny, I was on a panel at the LSI conference, you know, a, a few weeks ago, and I said, yeah, yeah. back Back um, at the beginning, uh, at the end of Digirat, as we're trying to go public, 9-11 happened. Oh, and, wow. Yeah. You know, that was, uh, we pulled our public offering, had to, you know, lay off half the people and and refigure things out. I, I left, uh, you know, eventually went to Volcano, which we started right after, you know, 9-11. And, you know, very different, different difficult capital markets to raise money and, and do everything. And, and, you know, built Volcano through that kind of great recession and financial crisis, um, you know, and then, you know, more recently, you know, with companies like Acutus and Hyperfine going public and Invista and a couple others like Sanendo and Vicarious that I've been involved in, you know, all grew through this COVID period of time. Yes. Yeah. And, and like and having to, So er, all these different eras have their different challenges. One of my favorite phrases is there are no bumps in the road. That is the road. And so, yeah, there's different challenges today relative to regulatory clinical studies, more difficult to get CE mark than it was, more difficult to get into China than it was. But there are some, you know, different things with breakthrough designations with the FDA, easier to get started with a clinical trial in the U.S. before you had to go you know, numerous other places. So, you know, there, there's gives and takes um, to both. It is a more difficult time right now to raise money, uh, you know, and venture capital is a little more challenged over the last 12 months. IPO windows are closed, but we've we've been through these before, you know, over the last 30 years. And we're in an industry where there will continue to be great innovation that leads to improvement in clinical act outcomes increases in clinical access and decreases in costs. So um, I think it's the best time ever to be in med tech. I, I have this presentation also where I show these 30 technologies uh, that are all going through 10 times improvements, whether that's performance, cost, size, that come really from the tech industry. And, you know, they're all migrating into and enabling different solutions in medical devices. So I'm super excited about the time we are. 
different challenges, but you know, that's why you need great, you know, entrepreneurs like Blake and others that are starting these companies and, you know, VCs are willing to fund them to uh, overcome these challenges and, and solve these problems. Yeah. I, I, I want to bring Blake into the conversation, but first I just have to make this comment. You know, you really took me back when you were mentioning Volcano and Digirad. And I came into the med tech industry in 2007 when you had St. Jude Medical and Covidian was a thing, but now those companies have all been absorbed and, and you know, been part of mega mergers, right? So it, it's amazing how cyclical this is and how the landscape has changed. You know, some of the, player, the, the players have changed, but uh, you just have a different floor, diff, different cadence of, of companies. Uh, no, I, I, absolutely. And, you know, there's a continuous evolution. I, I remember, you know, back at that volcano time, we, we would draw the companies that had 500 million to billion dollar mark caps, then one to five and then 10 or greater. And you see a lot of those ones that were 10 or greater have been consolidated, you know, the Covidians of, of, of yeah. the world. And before that, you know, they were U.S. Surgical, which becomes part of Covidian. But then you have other companies that, you know, come up and, and you know, uh, add a couple of things together. And, you know, you look at a Teleflex um, who weren't part of that mix and now are, are part of that mix. Or, you know, Bard is now part of BD and BD's bigger yeah. than it was. And BD starts becoming, you know, someone who can do things that weren't possible before. St. Jude, obviously part of part of Abbott. So Abbott, it's yeah. a healthy uh, in, environment and these large companies still need the innovation from the elucids uh, of the world, you know, to, to add into their portfolios over time. Now, you know, our hope is that we're more like an intuitive surgical or an Edwards or a ResMed. Yeah. We're always too expensive to be acquired and keep <laughs> innovating and, and solving things. But uh, if, if not, that's okay too. Yeah. Blake, I want to bring you now into the conversation and, and talk about um, uh, talk about why Scott was chosen as executive chairman of the board. What does he bring to the table, in your opinion? Thanks, Omar. I mean, yeah. Scott's career uh, has been incredibly impressive through many different companies, taking them from their very earliest stages to to extreme levels of success. He has that experience both as an executive, but also as a board member um, across a number of organizations. And I think the story he just told about his time at Volcano and the importance and the innovation they brought in terms of FFR in the cath lab and plaque in the cath lab ties so directly to what we're doing. I mean, we believe in the value of FFR, clinical evidence is there, and the value of plaque. But if you're able to make those measurements through a non-invasive test, which is what we're doing by applying non-invasive AI-enabled software to routine coronary CTAs, you can leverage those abilities, those measurements on a much higher volume of patients to help direct them to the ideal point of care, whether that be to the cath lab for revascularization or towards certain medical therapy. So Scott's experience there um, is invaluable to us as we continue on this journey of innovation. 
and now on this journey, and this is an incredible journey that you that Elucid is on. You seem to be undergoing some rapid growth right now. Can you talk a little bit about that? What's what's happening in the company? Um, uh, there seems to be a tremendous amount of energy. Oh, it's it's fantastic here. Um, we've added some wonderful people um, over the past, call it even nine months, bringing on board Dr. Todd Valines as chief medical officer. Uh, with his experience as a physician uh, working both in the cath lab and specializing in CTA, uh, his background as president of the Society of Cardiovascular CT, editor-in-chief of the Journal of Cardiovascular CT. We brought in a fantastic chief commercial officer, Scott Berger, who's been in this space for two decades, two and a half decades, and was even previously VP of sales at HeartFlow before being CCO at CoreVista. We've just brought in a fantastic chief technology officer, Andrew Miller, not to mention Scott and Dr. Michael Lesh joining our board. What we've seen in this market right now, what we've seen in this space is that the preponderance of clinical evidence is really growing towards making plaque and FFRCT table stakes in terms mm-hmm. of an assessment of a patient's coronary artery disease. FFRCT is now in care guidelines. It has a category one code coming early next year, and we've seen great results from prospective randomized trials. Plaque with its category three code was just awarded a national Medicare payment rate. And you have these very large scale trials like Scott Hart or the Miami Heart Study that are showing the value of plaque in diagnosing a patient as compared to stenosis alone. So all of these changes in the market all the evolution of us as a company and just the differentiation that we offer with our plaque assessment and FFRCT has really been a great recipe thus far. But I'll say this is just the the start. Our goal is to help prevent as many heart attacks and strokes as we can. Yeah, so I what I, I would take a step above Elucid and just say this is a a game changing time for the the flow of patients with family histories of cardiovascular disease, high cholesterol, et cetera, as they enter that funnel and have these early tests, um, having come from the nuclear cardiology world, it's no fun to have to go in and have a radionucleotide injection and have this this procedure done versus going and having a a CT FFR uh, done with, which also can do your, your plaque assessment. So it's, it's kind of faster, better uh, option as you move forward. And you see that with significant $100 million financings for both HeartFlow and Clearly, uh, the other you know main company in, in plaque characterization uh, right now. So the clinical community, the, the capital markets are saying, this market is going to change. We're going to have a better test. We're going to have more access. We're going to have lower costs, I think. And, you know, as importantly is we're going to enable a future which wasn't possible before. Now, if we can truly characterize plaque, quantification, type of plaque, types of plaque, location, you enable a future where we can talk about personalized medicine, but now we can do it with, you know, different arrays of, uh, of pharmacologic therapies we now have information that we can provide to that industry to develop further augmented therapies for these type of patients. 
We can now have targets for invasive therapies. Before you didn't know where to fish. Um, now we're showing you where where to fish to catch the fish, so to speak, with these plaques. Uh, so I am I'm excited. It's been a, a you know for me a 25 year you know adventure of of working and stepping on the shoulders of the companies and people and researchers at each step of the way to advance the ball on cardiovascular uh, disease diagnosis and then treatment. But this is a a big deal, and you're seeing it in the fundings and you know, we'll be in that that same uh, genre of, of big funding here, uh, I'm sure, in the next few months uh, as well as we, you know, move forward with our, our fundraising process. And, and that's in light of a very typical funding environment, which I talked yeah. about, you know, earlier. Yeah. Uh, you know, you're mentioning IPOs and we had the special um Special Purpose Acquisition Corporation mergers, um, the SPACs uh, in 2021, I believe in 20 in the early part of 2022 for, um, uh, you know, it was a backdoor, so to speak, to, to go public. And a lot of those kind of uh, fizzled out. And it, it, it's amazing how, you know, that was the hot trend. But now we're in a space where, you know, in some areas, the the financing and the funding is is flowing freely you know in others it's a it's a bit tighter you know so i i think that you just have some interesting spots in the market that that we all can watch and, and it seems like lucid is in one of those spots where yes this is a technology that is really 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 making a difference and has the potential to make a greater difference um and, and that kind of brings me to my next question how do you view Lucid as a company? Is it a digital health company? Is it a med tech company? Or is it just this, this interesting mix of both? I'm, I'm curious to what you all both think about that. Go ahead, Blake. Um, sure. Uh, I would characterize it as a, as a mix of both. Uh, we're not offended by either label. But yeah. what I think is truly the best descriptor is we are software as a medical device. Okay. We are doing things that traditionally would occur through an invasive tool, through a physical device, and we're taking that earlier in the process by using very advanced tools and deep learning. And just as a software-only product, we are creating the same measurements that you would have gotten through a true uh, physical device. Look, Omar, for me, it goes back to what I was saying. There's these 30 technologies, right, that are going mm -hmm. through times, improvements, size, cost, performance. If you look at that list and you go down, you're like, Hey, we, we've got communication capabilities to share data. Like back at Digirad, we would print a, a you know a DVD and send this image <laughs> for processing. Then we would fax back the the reading to the physician, and all you know all of that took like four or five days. You know we're we're in a position now where you can have communication with a CT device, runs to you know AWS processed, computing power, Moore's law continues to benefit us, data analysis, AI, uh, you know, and I could keep going on and on. It, it enables something that wasn't possible before. Yeah. So I, I like Blake, I don't really care what you cost. We're, <laughs> we're, a, we're a solution uh, for, for patients. And it's a great business model, you know, for, from a software standpoint, from a cost to produce uh, these results as we go forward. You know, 
I, I was chuckling when you said DVD because my kids no longer know what that is, right? They're yeah. all about streaming. So, yeah. But go ahead, Blake. Yeah, I interrupted we thought, you. We thought, we thought those were grain versus CDs. I mean, you know, way, way more data on one, right? But, uh, yeah. you know, things, that's to my point. I mean, things will continue to evolve and we're only going to get better and faster with these technologies. You see everything that's going on with the most popular term, it seems like, in, in fundraising today, regenerative AI, um, you know, we're going to have more data. It's going to be processed faster. We're going to process it better. AI machine learning, you know, et cetera. Uh, so it's an exciting, it's a very exciting time. Yeah, Scott, Scott hit the, the nail on the head there. I mean, the ability to deploy the software for physicians to integrate this into their workflow is, is so seamless. Um, they're simply sending a scan to the software and getting the result back right into their EMR where they place the order. And so for them, this is taking something that they already utilize, coronary CTA, which is already the standard of care for patients with stable chest pain. It's going through a one-click process and, and you're getting a result back with, with more information to actually tailor that treatment. So actual individualized care I mean, the reason this company was founded was we saw all these advancements in the world of, of cardiovascular treatments. There used to be a, a single drug. Now you have a, a dozen drugs in a physician's armamentarium, numerous ways to intervene procedurally. But we felt that non-invasive diagnostics were not advancing at a similar rate. And so while there's all these treatments available, there was this gap and the diagnostics world that was leading to a one-size-fits-all approach to a disease that is very specific, very individualized for the patient. And so by being able to layer this software product on top of their standard workflow and giving them all the information that they would possibly be able to attain in the cath lab really enables precision medicine for the patient. And it turns the cath lab from a diagnostic suite, it brings it to become an interventional suite identifying the right patients to go there, and then following up with the appropriate patients who are identified to have high-risk plaque. Makes sense. Makes sense. Um, Scott, I want to throw out this last question to you. Um, you've been in the industry. You, you've talked about um, your, your history in the industry, your background. Um, can you throw out some bold predictions or thoughts overall for MedTech in 2023? Uh, look, I, you mentioned a couple of things on 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 financing and SPACs and the like. Yeah. I, I think things are healthy now because it's a return to more normalization. Yeah. What I mean by that is, you know, companies are valued at the right the right numbers. You know, historically, you're a lower grower, you're valued at three times revenue, higher growth five to seven times. These have been the, the historical standards. You go public when you have 30, 40 million in revenue, you understand your business. That that creates a healthy environment. Um, we have healthy, growing, uh, larger companies. They all had very good first quarters. I'm involved in a couple of larger public companies on their boards. Uh, so there's there's volumes are back. Hospitals are getting stabilized relative to nursing or supply chain challenges. So I think we're we're getting through those things and getting back to a normal kind of pace of of funding innovation that will happen as we you know, enter the back half of the year and go into 2024. And I think you're going to see, you know, obviously more things on, on AI uh, play out, but, you know, I think you're going to see lots of good 
incremental, you know, innovation, development, and and funding. I get excited about things around, you know, connectivity and, and digital transformation. This is an example of that where you can connect the device with with data and, and create something. Also, you know, a company like Proximy, where we're connecting all of the the ORs with each other so we can aggregate data to improve surgery. Uh, things like Foldax, where you know, we're creating valves 4.0. We're taking advantage of being able to develop synthetic materials that weren't possible before. And we can make them with a robot and we can reduce the cost of a heart valve, you know, to dollars and make it more accessible, durable, better, better clinical aspects. In dental, Sprint Ray, a company, you know, where we're doing on-site 3D printing. You know, before, if you'd had a crown, you go in, you have to wear a temporary crown for a couple of weeks while something was made off-site. You come back, it doesn't fit. Two more weeks, your temporary crown breaks. You know, now, you know, we'll have 3D printing in minutes for, you know, dollars uh, at the bedside, personalized. So digital dentistry. So whether it's digital surgery, digital dentistry, you know, uh, applying that digital aspect uh, to all of these, that's what I'm excited about, you know, and it goes back to, I think, a quote, you know, Bill Gates or somebody had, which was, I can't tell you what's going to happen in the next two years. It's probably overstated, but in the next 10 years, it's probably understated. I don't know who said that first. I think it was Bill Gates or maybe it was Steve Jobs or both of them got attributed it. Uh, <laughs> it it's, it's a truism and it'll it'll happen in, in med tech around those 30 technologies that I said, they're going to get applied, which is going to improve access improve outcomes and reduce costs and globalization or democratization of healthcare will, will continue to progress. I was always frustrated, you know, at Verb, we said our goal is only two, there's seven and a half billion people on earth, two and a half billion have access to surgery. That's, that's egregious. That That's terrible. Yeah. How do we get to seven? Well, it's going to be connectivity. It's going to be robots. It's going to be data. All of these things are going to work you know, together, we're kind of the same at Elucid. How do we get it so everybody can have access to cardiovascular disease diagnosis and the right therapies? We have to make it more accessible, faster, better, and uh, and the like. So, you know, you can have a CT done anywhere, send it to the cloud. We can get you that analysis back, whether you're, you know, in a company like Hyperfine, where we have the world's first portable MRI and we're deploying, yeah. you know, 25 of those systems with the Gates Foundation across Africa to, you know, help uh, in remote areas to have, have access to this. But those are the things that I think are going to happen uh, here, whether it's two years, 10 years, it's going to happen and it's exciting. Sounds great. And I look forward to kind of charting Lucid's, you know, uh, uh, presence in the space uh, over the uh, over the next year and over the next few years. I'm sure the company's only going to grow and this technology is going to be adopted widespread. We appreciate that, Omar. Uh, we couldn't agree more in, in the value this is delivering to physicians to enable better patient care around the world. So we're very excited. So yeah, and thank, thank you, Omar, for the time. And thank you for doing this. Uh, it, it's always fun listening to your podcast. And it, it helps in that whole ecosystem that I talked about at the beginning, that it's a privilege to get to, to work in and get motivated by other people's success and, and understand they're going through those bumps in the road and overcoming them. Because uh, we're we're all working together uh, to try and improve outcomes. Yes, yes, great conversation, great conversation. Thanks, thanks for being a guest, and thanks for coming on to the show, Scott and Blake. Absolutely. 
That's it for this episode of Let's Talk MedTech. Thanks again to our guest. And for more content, make sure to visit us at mbdionline.com for all of your MedTech news. Also, make sure to rate, review, and subscribe to Let's Talk MedTech on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcast.